interpret it. I've been a bit challenged by it. Um, I have. Why don't we pray and we'll uh, get into this passage that Phil read to us before. Father, thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. As we're reminded of that today, we pray, Lord, that we'll be people of grace and mercy as well. Lord, we ask that you'd speak through me and uh, help me to be clear and help your word. Lord, we ask that your word would be clear in our hearts and we'd put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be together this morning. Um, uh, it's good to have this fellowship together as we do in, in Jesus. When, um, when Michelle and I got, got married, so March 27, 1997, um, Facebook didn't exist. The internet was dial-up. Remember the dial-up internet? That sort of sound. Um, you waited and waited and waited. It was exciting if you had it, but it took a bit of time, didn't it? That was dial-up. And, of course, there was no Instagram, no social media. And it is, it is a wonder how we survived, um, isn't it? Amazing. So to tell your friends big news... Now, the, the oldies amongst us would know this, but for, for the younger ones, to tell your friends um, big news, well, what you did, you put an ad in the paper. Yes, an ad in the paper. Incredible, isn't it? Very quaint. Um, here's Michelle and I. Here's our ad that Michelle's um, parents put in the Sydney Morning Herald. You see there, Haynes Thomas, Michelle's maiden name. Um, Nisha and Rob Haynes are delighted to announce the engagement of their daughter, Michelle, to Graham, son of Ros and Brian Thomas. There you go. And you know what's funny too? Is that this couple here are good friends of ours. And they ended up putting their ad in the paper just below us. How about that? On the same day. But that's how you did it. That's how you told your friends good news, big news. Of course, we had phone calls, we had telephones, it wasn't that old. Um, but we had, uh, that's how you did it, you, you, you put an ad in the paper. So birth of a child as well, that's what you do. These days we don't really do that, because um, no one really reads the paper anymore. Um, <laughs> they, you look at a screen, that's how they do it. Poor, oh, those poor journalists in, in news newsrooms, anyway. Um, oh, my wife's one of those, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, that's how we shared good news, um, and that's how you just... But you wanted as many people as possible to know. Um, in fact, news like that, well, you couldn't help but sharing, could you? You'd, you'd want to share news like that. That's what you do with good news, isn't it? Uh, perhaps you can think of another example in your life where you've, you just wanted, you've had good news and you just want to share it. Well, um, that's what you do with good news. Now, the issue, with, the issue God had with Jonah was that he didn't want to share God's good news. That was the issue. Last week, our passage, uh, chapter 3, closed with the greatest miracle of the book. Uh, forget the big fish. Here it is, chapter 3, verse 10. The Ninevites had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. There's the greatest miracle of the book. The Ninevites had turned from their evil ways. In response to the preaching of the word of God that Jonah finally went out and did, through this reluctant and disobedient prophet, the people of Nineveh believed in God, turned to him, cried out for mercy, and God was merciful. Now, for the reader of the book of Jonah, for us as we've gone through these last few weeks, well, that really shouldn't come as a great surprise that God was merciful. For God has already shown himself to be, to be gracious and merciful. Remember back in chapter 1, uh, God saved the sailors. Remember the sailors? He saved them and calmed the storm. And in chapter 2, God provided the big fish 
to save Jonah from drowning and then commanded the big fish to vomit Jonah up onto the beach. And in chapter 3, God continued to show mercy by saving the people of Nineveh. That's the character of God. God's nature is to be merciful. He doesn't want anyone to perish. As 1, 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the nature of God. Chapter 3, verse 10, well then, should be no surprise to us. And it should have been no surprise to Jonah. Well, the problem was, Jonah is angry. So, let's go to chapter 4, verse 1. And if you've got your outline there in the bulletin, follow along with me, jot some notes down. Um, 4 verse 1, Jonah's anger. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. It's up there. There we go. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God, slow to become angry and rich in faithful love and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. In other words, over my dead body, uh, I don't want to live in a world where this sort of thing happens, where God saves the lost and is compassionate and merciful, where God saves the undeserving. I don't want to be in a world like that. It's breathtaking, isn't it? Wow. How can he speak this way? How can God's prophets speak this way about people? Jonah is angry because God is, and he quotes Exodus 34, by the way. He quotes uh, the Old Testament, Exodus 34. God is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger. And in Jonah's view of God, the Ninevites don't deserve that. They don't deserve to be treated that way. They deserve to be punished, not saved. That's why Jonah fled, he says, back in chapter 1 to Tarshish. Because he didn't want them to hear the saving word of God. Now, perhaps Jonah was angry because God was showing compassion to another nation other than Israel. People different than him, different colour, different culture. But the bottom line, Jonah was angry. What held him back from speaking the word of God? God Jonah was angry because God shows compassion to mercy and mercy to sinners. And Jonah, like the Pharisees that Jesus condemns generations later, thought that sinners don't deserve God's mercy, God's time, God's patience, God's compassion. So here's the message of the book of Jonah in a few sentences. See, God fears for the judgment of people like the Ninevites and he longs for the salvation of people like the Ninevites. But Jonah longs for the judgment of people like the Ninevites and fears for the salvation of people like the Ninevites. That's what it is. Jonah's character, Jonah's nature, really is the opposite to God's nature, God's character. Indeed, Jonah had a problem with God and doing his way of things, of doing things. And God, that's a bit like the Christian life, isn't it? There's God's way of doing things and there's our way of doing things. And at times we wrestle with that. If you're anything like me, you wrestle with God's ways and my ways. Uh, God's nature, my nature, uh, our culture versus God and his word. It's a wrestle, isn't it? Well, Jonah had discovered that God's ways are different than his ways and he didn't like it. Jonah is angry. Why is he angry, though? Just to sum up. 
He's angry because God so loved the world. That's why he's angry. So verse 4, the Lord with great patience trying to teach Jonah his ways asks, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? After all I've done for you, now the obvious answer is no. It's not right for you to be angry. So here's God's lesson. Jonah, uh, like a, a, a stubborn child, refuses to answer God's question. In verse 5, he leaves the city, he sits down east of it, he makes himself a shelter, he sits in its shade and he waits to see what would happen to the city. What's he doing? What's he doing out there? Doesn't that strike you as a bit bizarre? What did he do that for? It's a little odd, isn't it? Especially in the light of 3 verse 10. Remember 3 verse 10? God's going to save the city. He's not going to punish the city. They're, they're, God's merciful. What's he doing? Well, let me, let me illustrate what I think he's doing. You know, New Year's Eve comes around. Perhaps you've been in a big city, say Sydney, uh, or other cities across the world on New Year's Eve. What do you look for? You're there to watch the fireworks, aren't you? That's what you're there to do. Uh, Jonah wants the best seat in the house for the fireworks. That's what he wants. He thinks the fireworks are coming. That's what you do, don't you, when you go to the fireworks? Maybe you've done this, I've done this before. You, you, go, you come early. These days you've got to like go a week early. But anyway, um, you come early, you, so you're out, where do you go? You go to Cremorne Point, you go to uh, down in Waverton somewhere, I don't know, looking across the harbour. You stake out your spot, you put your blankets out, and you always put out more blankets than you need because that's what we are, we're selfish people. Um, you put out blankets, you get your thermos, you've got your little your, your picnic and your, your food and all that sort of stuff. Anyone who comes close, you growl at them. <laughs> my spot, my spot, my precious. Um, and uh, <laughs> you push them away, it's my, and you, you sit there and prepare yourself for the show. You get a great view for the show and there it is, the fireworks are coming, it's fantastic. I'm ready for it. Uh, you're ready for the action. That's Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, unbelieving of the true nature of God, was unconvinced that God would indeed save Nineveh. He was still hoping that God would, would, God would destroy that great city. So he stakes out the best spot, gets his thermos, gets his picnic blanket. He's ready to go. He's ready for the fireworks. He's got the best view and now he waits. Well, God is still keen to teach Jonah a lesson. He's still working on Jonah. And I want you to note the use of the word appointed or provided in these verses we're about to read. God's sovereignty, in other words, God being in control, uh, is still being emphasised here. Let's read from verse 6. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed, provided, a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Well, it seems that seems the shelter that Jonah built wasn't working out for him. And so God, uh, so just like God appointed or provided a great fish, God mercifully appoints or provides a plant 
to uh, ease Jonah's discomfort in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And Jonah was greatly pleased, greatly pleased by the plant that God had provided. He was very happy about it. Why wouldn't you be? Now, the writer's making a point here. So if you've got your Bibles up and you see it a bit easier, um, we can't do it on, I probably could have done it on two screens, but we didn't. Uh, the writer's making a point about using the same words, describing Jonah's reaction to God's work in verse 1 and verse 6. Verse 1, greatly displeased. Verse 6, he was greatly pleased. That is, Jonah is as glad about a little more shade on his head as he was enraged when God's mercy disappointed his hope that Nineveh would be destroyed. See that? Again, it's, it's, it's breathtaking. Really? That's what the author's trying to put, get us to see here. He is as glad about a little more shade on his head as he was enraged at when God's mercy disappointed his hope that Nineveh would be destroyed. Well, God appoints a worm and made it act as Jonah would have acted towards Nineveh. It attacks the plant and it withered and died. That's how Jonah wanted uh, Nineveh dealt with. Well, next there's a strong, uh, hot, easterly wind, like a summer westerly for us, you know, that sort of hot, ugh, horrible sort of wind. Jonah is close to death, uh, just like the experience of the big fish, and Jonah has once again a taste of the judgment of God. He cries out in this sort of self-absorption and um, uh, self-indulgence, it's better for me to die. It's that, that sort of thing. It's all, I think it's meant to be a little bit, um, a bit of a comedy. I don't think it's a laugh-out-loud comedy, but it's that sort of, really? Come on, man. Um, you're judging the wrong man. There's no justice, he cries out. Evil being forgiven, the good, that's himself, being judged. My little plant dying, I quit, he says. Well, verse 9, then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm right. I'm angry enough to die, he says in verse 9. Well, once again, he's angry. He's angry at God's ways. That's what he's angry at. How could God be like that? Well, the third point in our outline. Let's, uh, let's listen to God's response. God is still teaching Jonah. So the Lord said, You cared about the plant, which you did not labour over and did not, and did, and, and did not grow. It appeared at night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right from their left as well as many animals. Jonah gets all worked up over something he did not deserve. In his self-centeredness, he's angry over a little plant which he did nothing for, did not labour over. If miserable Jonah can show a selfish concern about a plant, about his own comfort, how much more right is it for the Lord God to show mercy of the people of that great city? See, here's the lesson. He's, 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 he said, Jonah, God says, the compassion and mercy of God is not for you only. God saw the people of Nineveh, all 120,000 of them, who did not know their right from their left. Great in power and wealth, wickedness and arrogance, but pitifully ignorant, with no knowledge of the goodness of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, well, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep 
without shepherd. See, here's the heart of God. This is the character of God, isn't it? Merciful and compassionate. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves the lost. Those like the Ninevites who, upon hearing the word of God, repent and turn to him. And that's the gospel we call, as we read in our Bibles, which means good news. Because that's what it is. It's good news. And it's worth sharing. It's well worth sharing, isn't it? It's, it's not just for people like, like me, we might say. It's for everyone. And if this good news is for everyone, as we've heard today, well, how can we, how can we keep that to ourselves unless we're like Jonah? That's the lesson in chapter 4. I want to give you a final challenge. Uh, for those of us who have been around for a little while, um, and when I was pretty young, actually, you would have heard of a, you might have heard of a comic duo uh, called Penn and Teller. Uh, they did magic tricks, cracked a few jokes, that sort of thing, uh, back in the early sort of 1990s. Um, Penn Gillette, who is still in the entertainment industry today, is a very well-known atheist. He tells this story on uh, a YouTube video uh, of a time when he was evangelised. Evangelism is when someone shares the good news of Jesus. That's what evangelism is. Uh, comes from the Greek word for good news, euangelio. Unexpectedly, he praises this Christian man who walks up to him after one of his shows, gives him a Bible and has a conversation with him about Jesus. Well done, atheist. So Penn speaks of how well-mannered and how respectful this uh, man uh, was and how sincere he was. He was impressed. And then on the clip, uh, which was a little long to show today, it goes for about 15 minutes, on the clip uh, he makes this powerful point. He says after saying how much he respected this man, he says, I don't respect people who don't evangelise. How much do you have to hate someone if you firmly believe something bad is coming their way, the judgement of God, not to warn them. It's a good point, is it? It's a good point. I think it's the point that God makes to Jonah as well. And it's the point that God makes to us today. How much do you have to hate someone if you firmly believe something bad is coming their way, the judgment of God, not to warn them? Well, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, we have such good news in the gospel. Well, how can we keep it to ourselves? Well, the, the book of Jonah finishes in a pretty strange way, actually. It's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? Sort of, is that it? Isn't there meant to be an extra, extra chapter here? Uh, it just finishes, that's it. Uh, was Jonah changed by God's lesson? How did he respond to God's lesson? We don't know. Uh, did he learn the grace of God, as one writer I, I read put it? Actually, we're never told what happened to Jonah. He's never mentioned again, apart from Jesus mentioning him uh, in, in Matthew 12. But that's actually not what's important, what happened to Jonah. What's important is what happens to us. That's why the book's there, uh, for its readers. What really matters is if a change is brought about in us as we read God's word. Remember one of the themes of the Jesus is mission. Uh, we're talking a lot about conversations and so on. We're not talking about everyone being Billy Grahams, converting a whole city just with one speech so on. All we're talking about is just small steps. That's it. Just small steps. 
Just one more step as we reach those who don't know Jesus. Now that, that could be an invitation to an event. That could be a social occasion, inviting someone around for dinner, keeping up a good friendship, asking a question or two. Maybe it's over coffee. Maybe a Facebook message. Anything. Just one more step in sharing the good news of Jesus. That's all it is. Today, as we just finish, I'm, I'm not going to. Um, we won't do a question and question uh, and answer time or, or time of sort of discussion and so forth. What I'm going to get us to do, uh, if you're someone who follows Jesus, and you've been convicted by the Word of God, like I have, um, I'm going to just let us take a few moments of silence, and I want you to pray for maybe one person, two people, uh, that you would like an opportunity for God to give you to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. All right, that's all we're going to do. Um, I'm hoping you do this on your own, but just take a moment. You might want to write their name down somewhere so you keep praying for this person and ask God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with this person. All right? How about we do that? I'm going to give a bit of time of quiet and, um, and then I'm going to close in prayer at the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the greatest news of all, uh, that you are a God who's merciful and compassionate and you sent your son Jesus to die on that Roman cross for our sin, to conquer death and rise again so that we can have life with you, so that we can be forgiven and be in a right relationship with you. Father, we, um, we thank you for that good news. Lord, it's such good news, we, we, we want to share it, don't we? We need to be able to do that. And so, Lord, today we pray for opportunities just for that one more step, just one more step, to have a conversation with someone, for an opportunity to invite someone to an event where they hear the gospel, to invite them to church. Lord, help us with that. We pray for those people that we've all mentioned just in our own hearts and minds now. We pray for that opportunity to speak to someone about you, Lord Jesus. It's such good news, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in Acts chapter 4, um, Peter and John are speaking to the Sanhedrin. They're called in front of the Sanhedrin, accused of saying, accused of preaching the gospel, really. And they respond, well, we couldn't help but speaking. Uh, we couldn't help because there's no other name in heaven on earth that we can be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing about that right now. So why don't we stand and let's sing together.